What's up? I am fired up. I'm on the road and I'm headed to Baton Rouge in just a couple days. And uh, the whole point of this dual threat podcast we started off was do some NFL, do some college and be uh, ready to go as soon as the college football rankings came out. So the playoff rankings came out. I actually was texting with Rob Mullins, the playoff chair committee um, and he or playoff committee chair. And he's going to join us at some point. So he's not going to do it tonight. Instead, a special surprise, a reunion of sorts. I don't know if we're going to argue and complain the whole time about each other. Uh, but Danny Cannell, now with Sirius XM and CBS Sports, calling games, still talking college ball a ton. So I actually am really looking forward to going over the rankings with him now that we have them out because I'm sure we're going to see things differently. And as of right now, the top four in Bama, Clemson, LSU, Notre Dame, and that five, six, Michigan, Georgia, all the way down. So we'll go through and spend some time with Cannell coming up in a bit. And then I have some NFL thoughts after another week in the books and the exciting trade deadline. Huh? How about that for dual threat? The trade deadline. I don't even know if I'm going to break any of it down. I'm just happy that we have more than like one trade. because This league for decades, like, oh, we can't trade anybody. It's ridiculous. No one will ever understand the system. Um, yeah, and I understand systems take a little bit longer to figure out, but you get the point. It's nice to see some trades. So we had some receivers traded. Before we do any of that, though, do you want an edge over Vegas? Uh, yeah, I do. Download BetQL, the app you need to get an advantage this season. Discover value bets, line movement, and find out what bets the public backs with BetQL. The best part? BetQL is free to download from your mobile device. So why aren't you doing this? Head to BetQL.com and use the promo code DUAL for your three-day trial. Give yourself an advantage over Vegas and download BetQL. That's BetQL. .co and use the promo code DUAL, D-U-A-L, for your three-day trial. Give yourself an advantage over Vegas and download BetQL. That's BetQL.co, and the promo code is DUAL. Okay, Danny, the rankings are out, and uh, you and I have disagreed for years about everything. And at this point, I don't really have much of an issue. I don't know that any of this is a surprise. I mean, maybe there was a thought that they would like Michigan more. I think there's a good argument for Michigan. I think if you want to be... Difficult, you could argue against Michigan, almost like you could a little bit against Texas and then lose to Oklahoma State. So they're sort of out of the picture here now. But initial reaction to the top four, I can't imagine there's that many issues, right? No, I mean, I, for me, it's, it's LSU over Notre Dame a little bit. But I mean, how upset are you really going to get considering if LSU plays Bama and they beat them, then they're probably number one next week. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And yeah, I could look at Notre Dame's schedule and you could nitpick and say it, all right. But for me... And you know me, I mean, I've kind of stuck with the same script is that I value the fact that Notre Dame hasn't lost over LSU losing uh, to Florida. So I like that's for me, but it's not a huge deal. I tell you what the surprise to me was, was Washington State kind of still being in the conversation. I think Washington State sitting at eight actually gives the Pac-12. Now, granted, it's a long shot, but I think they're kind of in the mix, which I didn't think they would be. I thought the Pac-12 was done. And the fact that they're at eight in this first poll, I think, you know, I think the committee is completely ignoring their non-conference schedule, which is something that has bad mattered in the past. But I think they're looking at some of their wins in conference and saying, all right, maybe we'll give Washington State a shot. Um, you know, so overall, like I'm trying, I try to tell myself, don't get too worked up over it because it happens every single time. Like it, you could really nitpick some of these, but overall the big picture, like I, I don't have a huge problem with any of them. Yeah, you know, the easiest thing is is we've always done this, but it, you can't really do the radio show that way every day. It's like, oh, this, it'll all play itself out. You know, join us for three hours as we tell you to not worry about any of this stuff because we want you to worry about it. Uh, we want, because we worry about some of the things. The Washington State thing and, and writing off the Pac-12, like, that's why I don't like, say, four weeks in when somebody goes, oh, well, you know, Pac-12 is done. And you go, well, we don't know that. 
Now, if Clemson had some terrible loss, the ACC could be out of this thing. If the Big 12, now it's a little different with, with Texas losing, but you know, it depends a lot on the West Virginia games for both Texas and Oklahoma. That, you know, as, as we dig through all this stuff, and like, what if a Big Ten West team won the Big Ten title? And I don't think that'll happen. I think the team from the East will be a two-touchdown favorite in that, that conference championship game. But you can't just eliminate entire conferences four weeks in knowing that the lower the tide is in a way, the more they're all back in this. So I think it's right to what you're saying with Washington State. The strength of Rector is pretty good. I know you hate the FPI. They're not as great in the FPI. I think there's times of the FPI where I, you know, I would never use it as my, my entrance into an argument. It may not even be the fifth or sixth point that I would make. So I think we're more aligned on that than you realize. The out-of-conference for Washington State's Wyoming, San Jose State, Eastern Washington. I guess you could make a little bit of an argument about a field goal loss at USC. You know, I think Utah's a good team. I, you know, I kind of thought Oregon was a good team. I'm gonna have to apologize for thinking they were good because then they lose to Arizona. Stanford's not Stanford of the past, but I mean, good luck finding 25 teams better than them. I, you know, I think on any given Saturday. And I guess the more I look at it, I think the depth around all of college football, there's so many similar teams in that middle section that some of these wins can still be good, but you're right. If it comes down to Washington state winning a PAC 12 title, it's going to be really hard to argue them over somebody else. Who's a one loss conference champ with that terrible out of conference schedule. Well, do you remember that Washington almost get left out? Remember, remember Washington almost get left out. And that was the year they lost Alabama in the semifinal. And there, there was a very serious conversation. That was another one where I was like, how can you leave a team out? That's a one loss Pac 12 champ. I just but thought they were good, you I know, do, like that was, I argued right. for them because, yeah, I'd watch them and go, I think they're good. I'm sorry, you know. And so that's why I think the difference is with Washington State is I think they're pretty good too. Like we all know what Mike Leach is going to bring to the table on the offensive side of the ball. And Gardner Minshew is just the latest guy who's lighting up, putting up these monster numbers. But if you look within the Pac-12, they're actually at the top of most defensive categories, which is something you'd never think you would say about a Washington State team. But I do think that that conference, and I've always been a defender of the Pac-12, it is a complete disaster. And I honestly don't know. I think they have a major problem on their hands. And it's just, and especially you look at the last game that was out when Washington State was playing this past weekend. I don't know if you saw it. I think it was Stuart Mandel put out a photo of the game at Stanford, like five minutes to kickoff, and there were like 3,000 people there. And it's like, I That's think the Stanford. Pac-12 has just a disinterest. That is no doubt no, about it. I mean, Stanford. I've been there enough to know the farm as great as it is. I, I don't know if they're just trying to pitch startups down the street because they don't go to the games. <laughs> right. Well, they always blame traffic. It's always traffic's fault. But I do, don't you, you don't feel like there's a lack of interest the back half of the season and a lot of the, I mean, USC doesn't exactly have a home field advantage. It's kind of like Florida State. If USC is playing Notre Dame or if they're playing UCLA when UCLA is good and maybe they're in for the, you know, for a division title, then it's a good crowd. But I think the PAC 12 as a whole, just there's a lot of lackluster interest in football as a whole. And I think it's hurting them. You don't, you don't agree. You think they do have like, cause I think that's the one thing that SEC does have going for it. It's not even close as the, the advantage that teams have and Oregon. I know when Oregon gets going, that can be an incredible home field advantage Washington when they're good. But like now that all these teams have two, three and four losses, I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I think it hurts Washington state. This is an entirely different conversation that I would agree with you about that because <laughs> we put such an emphasis on just a BCS title back in the day. And now maybe just the playoff and some of these teams that win conference championships, they do an eye roll 
And if it's a team that's been winning right. conference championships, the fan base is like, yeah, okay, whatever. We're still not playing for a national title. And you go, you know, there's still nothing wrong with going 12 and one and winning your conference. Like that used to actually be really cool. And I still think it is. Oregon's always a great home field. And I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like now after eight games, the Arizona loss for them, you know, the Washington state game, I actually was impressed with the way they came back after being down 27, nothing or 28, nothing. But yeah. I, I don't know. They're just, they're just not as good as I thought they were. They, and I, for a while I thought they were pretty good, but you know, you just, you have that happen at Arizona where you, you get destroyed. Um, you know, I'm over it. Cal has been kind of a, a mess for a little while. Oregon state, same deal. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I used to argue that I felt like their toughest outs were tougher than, excuse me. I should say this. I always thought the PAC 12 kind of at the bottom, other than maybe some of these Oregon state years, I always felt like it was a conference that there were still tough matchups and the, and the coaching was getting better. And this is for yep. your argument for this year, I think a snapshot year in 2018, you're right. But I always thought like in a way, other conferences had easier, easier Saturdays than the PAC 12 did. Um, even some of those right. SEC years where the East was a disaster where you're just like, what, you know, like some, some of these teams stink. Well, I was going to um, say, I was going to say it also, it's it's one of those years where they you know the nine conference game schedule always makes it different because they have to play one of those good bottom rung teams every year. Um, but when you look at this, Ryan, do you think from from like who can get there? Like I'm looking at this poll, and I've been doing this for a few weeks, like because we're whittling down the teams that still have a chance in it. I don't like for Washington State. If you had me projecting ahead, I would not put them in. I just don't know if I'm a believer in them all the way through winning the Pac-12 championship. So like you go one to seven and I think all those teams have a legitimate chance of making the final four, but how deep would you go? And I don't know, Ohio state, I think has something wrong in I that agree. locker room. Yeah. I just, I don't, I think there are a bunch, I think there are a bunch of guys who, and I thought, you know, I don't want to rip Nick Bosa cause I don't have any problem with his decision to go pro. But I think the fact that a team captain was willing to forego the second half of the season and, you know, just say, see you later. I'm going to go prep for the NFL. I thought that spoke volumes about the, the kind of the locker room culture that's going on there with Urban Meyer. But I like, I don't, when I see teams, like how deep could you go? I don't know how deep I could go past Oklahoma. If we're doing the Ohio State thought to finish, um, I don't have a problem with the Bosa thing because I think the timetable for his injury return was so late in the season that I don't even know that it would have really mattered. So if he's prepping for a draft with a weird core injury, knowing that his family kind of knows how this deal works, I, I know what you're saying as a captain, but him being in a zip up cheering guys on when I, I don't really know that that matters. Like urban's been around long enough that that shouldn't matter. I, I think if you're one of these great teams and in the beginning of the year, it looks like Haskins is this incredible talent and maybe better than all the other guys they had had there. And now they can't run the football, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, the only stranger team not being able to run the football would be Stanford. That's something I never, ever imagined would happen ever in college football. And Ohio state has to throw it a million times against Purdue and that Purdue loss when you watched it, you're dude, Purdue's just kicking the, you know what out of them. So that was weird. And I, I don't know. I hear certain things. Like, I don't know if it's just the coaching thing or all the stuff that was going on in the off season and going into it, if that's lingering. I mean, we're really good at finding why things affected the team after the fact, if they don't live up to our expectation, but here's the thing, Ohio state beats Michigan. They're going to beat whoever beats, you know, comes out of the West. Um, they, they very much can be right in this thing. Like, you know, how much, you know, as much as you fret about Alabama and the brand, Ohio State benefits the exact same way. So if they're a one-loss Big Ten champ, they're back in this thing, despite all of our concerns about them and how one-dimensional they may be in offense. Agreed. And they'll also have the resume because if they go, if they beat Michigan, who's a really quality team, uh, and Michigan State on the way there, they would, and then, you know, the, wherever they play from the, the conference championship, 
I think their resume would be more than, you know, uh, justified. I think the thing that's interesting is that Notre Dame has completely thrown a wrench in this thing as far as when the math comes down to it. And for, for the remainder of their schedule, teams that at the beginning of the year, you thought, you know what? It's you nuts, know, right? That could be a tough out. It, yeah. I mean, think and about USC, how many tough like, games. Same thing. Yeah, you go, okay, Michigan. All right, so they beat Michigan. I actually thought they were better than the one touchdown against Michigan watching the opening of the season. But, you know, now it looks like it was a touchdown game. Um, They go, oh, man, you got to take on a top 10 Stanford team. And the only reason they were top 10 is because Oregon pissed it away the week before. But then it's a dominant win against Stanford. But they're not the same. Then, okay, well, you know, you got to go out in a lane stadium. That's not going to happen. That's not going to be easy. They roll Virginia Tech. Now, granted, you know, they were on another quarterback, but that wasn't close. Um, You know, Northwestern is kind of... I don't want to say fake good, but if Northwestern's in the Big Ten championship game, maybe that would hurt the Big Ten. And they would go, yeah, 12-1 and at Ohio State or Michigan, but man, it was only Northwestern. Florida State, we know that that's a disaster. And then at USC, all of these, I think it's a great point because on paper, Syracuse. Syracuse at one point, because after the Stanford game, I was at Penn State for the Ohio State win, and I tweeted out, you know, this is... And it wasn't even an anti-Notre Dame thing. It was, hey, if they go 12-0, and they're in the playoff. But now it's like, yeah, they're going to go 12-0, and and are they in the playoff? And there's an argument to be made that Syracuse could be the toughest part of the second-half stretch, even though you know Northwestern is the team with the record. Oh, for sure. I think Syracuse is absolutely their toughest uh, out on there. And Dino Babers, I mean, that's been kind of his, his MO, is like playing the role of spoiler. But I don't think it's... I don't think that's the case anymore. I think they're just a pretty good team. And that's one of the things I was like, oh, good to see that they got recognized, uh, you know, in the first poll coming out with 19. That's a really strong record. And especially for Syracuse. I mean, I, I, they go fast. They, they're just a tough out. I think they're, and I think Dino you know, Babers probably going to get snatched up by some bigger program uh, sooner or later. But I agree. I think Notre Dame runs the table. I think it'll be interesting, but I think they're, I, I think they're a lock if they run their table, no matter what else happens around them. And the thing that's kind of weird about it is remember the season when they got in and played Bama and got smoked? You remember the, the game that everybody was referencing was the Pitt game. And ironically, that's another one where Notre Dame looked awful when they played against Pitt and only beat them 19-14. to 14. But man, I, I think Notre Dame is in a much better place now than they were because they have been getting better on the offensive and defensive line, as evidenced by two first-rounders last year in the draft uh, on the offensive line. I think they're getting better. Um, but they still probably get waxed by them in a first round matchup. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I book was the right call. Um, he's just more of a complete guy. And, you know, I talked to some people who close to the team about the losses on the offensive line. And, and they were like, look, those guys are studs. But the cool thing is, is it wasn't that it was guys that weren't talented enough. They just hadn't played. And we felt pretty good about it. You know, so you lose those kinds of players and you think, well, we're screwed. But we had guys that were really good. They just hadn't played. And then once they got in, they were good. And, you know, I don't. <laughs> I, you know, having the jobs that we've had where we did it every day and we heard every argument from every inch of the country, it just becomes this classic, like no one's ever played anybody at the end of the year. And I could make an argument against Michigan, but I'm not gonna, you know, I, I, I've been very pro Harbaugh. There's, there's still weeks where I go, I don't know, is this really like a playoff team? But then you think, okay, can you come up with four that are better than them? And if they beat Ohio state, and they win the Big Ten, that's going to be really weird if it's basically the tiebreaker against Notre Dame going all the way back to week one when they were trying to figure out what offense they were possession by possession with Shea Patterson in his first game because that was still very clunky for them uh, in that loss to South Bend. So that's that's the weird part for the Big Ten here. It's like, wait a minute, if we have Michigan as the Big Ten champ in at 12-1, and one, 
are they just going to lose out to Notre Dame? Or look, LSU could be eliminated this weekend too, so we don't know. Right. Well, I think what gets really tricky for the committee, let's say Notre Dame loses, not to Syracuse, because I think that'll destroy them. But let's say, even though USC isn't very good, let's say Notre Dame loses by a field goal and it's a close game and Notre Dame plays good, but USC just you know kind of puts it all together. And Notre Dame is a one-loss team that, you know, that finishes the season, you know, pretty impressive, but they finish with a whimper with a loss to USC. And then Michigan is a one loss big 10 team and they, but they beat Notre Dame head to head. Like, I think that could present a real problem. Well, who would you put in? Because they always preach head to head. I would probably lean toward either. I'm, I'm about, man, that'd be a tough one. I would probably lean toward Michigan because I, I'm, I You're think they're your own stacked rule. up and but I, I am because I do like to go head to head. But I think Notre Dame should stack up and join the ACC. That's what I think. And I think it will hurt them eventually. And I've always believed that, that that will hurt them one day, the fact that they're not a member of a conference. And the committee has said, well, see, but unless it's Alabama, they don't have that extra data point. They've referenced that. You know, hey, you need that 13th game for a championship. That's a difference. I think that actually would hurt Notre Dame. And I think Michigan would get the nod. And I would be okay with that, even though – and I think there is something to be said, too, about – how different Michigan has looked as the season's gone on. And for these transfer quarterbacks, I don't think anybody understands like how complex it is and how hard it is to get comfortable in a system. And I think that's a big reason why two teams, Michigan with Shea Patterson and LSU with Joe Burrow, they've gotten better and better as those quarterbacks have gotten more and more comfortable within those systems because they're still brand new. You know, like they just came in the spring. It's not like, it's not like they've been there and they've, you know, redshirted, got to learn the entire system. They're coming in last minute, especially in Joe Burrow's case, where he played the spring in Ohio State, and he's really getting the game plan last minute. Like, he hasn't done hardly anything. And so I would actually look at that and be like, you know what? Michigan is a better team now than they were in that first game. I would put Michigan in, and I don't – you know, this is where every fan base freaks out is because you are only using the points for your argument that help it, okay? Right. So if if, say that happens – But I'm doing the same thing the committee does. And by the way, as we talk all this out, if, you know, when we have a loser of Alabama LSU, although if Alabama were to lose a close one, LSU wins the SEC title and then other stuff happens, Alabama still has a really good chance of being that second team. And we'll get to that in a second because I know that drives you crazy. Clemson being clean. <laughs> um, maybe, you know, Washington State ends up there. But, you know, people just kind of go, I can't really do the resume. You know, Oklahoma still very much in this thing. OK, um, but I'm OK with the committee saying, yeah, head to head's important. But it always means like dot, dot, dot up into a point. Like if we think these two Mm -hmm. teams are absolutely equal on the final hours before we have to submit what the actual real four teams are, we can say it's important because they're not going to ever say, yeah, head to head is actually not a big deal. You know what? Conference championships aren't a big deal. They're always going to say that those are important, but only when they see the teams as absolute equals. And when they set out to do this years ago, they said the goal was the best four teams, the best four teams. And we're never going to agree. It's 13 people in a room that aren't going to agree. If you did it with computers, we'd never agree. So there's never, there is no other perfect solution to this, despite everybody's angst about it all the time. But I would, because I still, maybe I'm wrong here, but I still believe beating Ohio state is a tough team to beat at their place, that that would be a really impressive win. And then to win the big 10 championship, like I would be more likely to lean Michigan over Notre Dame. But as I say it, they could both be in and it may not even matter as we spent like seven minutes on that. Um, I, I, I want to ask you, cause I've noticed your Alabama Clemson thing and you feel like Clemson is flying under the radar in comparison to Alabama. I'm that surprises me when you tweet that out. So what's your point? 
So, so you disagree. You think that you think that Bama is head and shoulders separated from the field as well. Um, no, I think Clemson's nasty. I really do. I I think the talent's yeah. there, but I think week in week out, that conference is so bad. It's even worse than we thought it would be. That I'm not quite sure how tested they are, but they've been kind of tested a couple times. So I think that's the difference. Where if somebody wants to go, well, Bama hasn't played anybody. We know who they are. We know who they've been. And I know we're not necessarily supposed to do that, but we can't help ourselves. They look like they have the best draft prospect ever at the position, which is unfair, it seems. And at least the best quarterback prospect they've ever had is Alabama. They're destroying other teams. I mean, it's this, this isn't even competitive football. And so I'm okay with somebody thinking Alabama's head and shoulders above Clemson, but I would still put those two on a tier together because a lot of the benefit of the doubt stuff I give to Alabama, I'm still going to give to Clemson, even though Clemson was challenged against Syracuse. And even though Clemson could have lost to A&M, Bama doesn't have those two minor blips that still ended up being wins is my point. Agreed. But what's the major difference in those two games? Trevor Lawrence was knocked out of Syracuse, didn't finish it. And in Texas A&M, he was still putting that. So like, but I like, look, Alabama's offense is stupid. Like I have never seen, it's close to perfect. Like when you watch Tua and his, I mean, just look at his stat line and it looks, I mean, he's going to break Baker Mayfield. So Baker Mayfield, when he was at Oklahoma, set the career, you know, set the year, single season uh, passer efficiency rating his junior year. Then he comes back, he breaks it again his last year at Oklahoma. Tua is like 20 points above where Baker Mayfield was. And I thought Baker Mayfield was one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen. So I am not, this isn't about Alabama's offense. For me, it's about their defense. And that's the thing that I think is funny in all this is for the last you know, decade when Alabama's been had their run of, of, of you know, championships in their dynasty, I'm sitting there saying, well, hold on. They don't have a balanced attack. And everybody's like, well, that defense is unbelievable. And now that they actually have the offense, I think their defense is still good. I'm not saying they're not deserving and they're anything like that. But I think that's where Clemson actually has a significant, significant edge is on the defensive side of the ball with those three first rounders on the defensive line. And they've got some depth. They're starting to get better in the secondary. And statistically, they're better in almost every uh, defensive category. And it's not close. And I know their schedule isn't great, but Bama's isn't that great either. And I think it'll be, I think they're closer than people think. Now, look, to be fair, I thought Ohio State was in that conversation for a long time too. And it was like, oh, there's three teams are separating themselves. And then they go to, you know, to Purdue and they get smoked. And it's like, oh, they were a total fraud. I don't think Clemson is that. I'd like, if you had me say, all right, you know, here's a hundred bucks, which teams are you going to put in there? I would put, you know, probably 70 of it on Bama, but I would still put 30 of it on Clemson and say, all right, there's, they're going to get in there too, especially with their schedule and playing in the ACC. And I think if they played each other, I think Alabama would on a neutral field, I think Alabama would probably be a four or five point favorite, which is less than it was when Clemson beat them in the national championship game. I think that was a touchdown favorite. When Alabama, um, you know, lost to them with Deshaun Watson with the quarterback at Clemson, so I think it's, I think it's close. Like I'm not, I don't want to. Be, I hope people don't feel like I'm trolling Alabama, even though I know that's what I always get pegged as. I yeah. just think that Clemson <laughs> is really good. Then <laughs> it's deserved. Some, some okay, of it's so, deserved. I mean, let's not, not let's not kid. I do remember you had a Big Ten East SEC West before the season started. Tweet we were like, "Are yeah, you kidding me?" And you just like went the top five teams as winners. You're like, it's not even close. I was like, eh. I well, don't know. I wasn't the only one saying that. You don't. You don't. I wasn't the only. Like, no, so there was. Look, there was a shift. There was a shift. You like. Yeah, no, that's sure. that's fine. I'm there all, was a I'm shift that now. maybe. Hey, there was a couple times in the last couple of years where I thought before the season started, I go, I don't know if the SEC is going to be the best overall conference, and then it just sort of would happen again. And look, they don't have the depth. 
uh, or they they hadn't had the depth the last few years. I'm not sure if it's as deep. It's not as deep as it used to be. That year, Arkansas, and I always reference it years ago when Arkansas went seven and six and came in last in the West. I was like, this team, this is going to be kidding me. Um, but, you know, I don't know if Kentucky's really good. And they're ninth. Uh, Florida, hey. Florida, I know their defense is sick. And Felipe Franks, I think, yep. has been a little bit better. But my expectations were for him were, were pretty low. But I thought Georgia was going to put it on him, and they did. So, you know, they still love Florida, apparently. And they have them right in front of your favorite Florida team, not Florida State, UCF. Uh, were you upset at all about UCF being 12? <laughs> no, because it's not surprising at all. Like, when I look at UCF, too, here's another thing. I would never... And this is where you see our fans because they love me. I should run for mayor. Of Orlando. Yes, they do. I think you do uh, it because of Bama, would, by the way. But they would they would impeach me if I didn't. If I if they heard this, I don't think they belong in the top four ever. Like I just don't. Thank like, you. But I like the fact that it messes with the system. But I think the system is broken. Like that's the thing where Danny White gets and all. Have you noticed by the way that that's like the thing to do now is to troll UCF by. You know, whether it's the entire game day crew, like mocking them or, you know, Joel Klatt, like mocking them and saying, oh, you guys are a joke and you don't deserve that, which I think is kind of messed up. But here's the thing with UCF. I think they they should be able to have a seat at the table. And that would be an 18 playoff, which I know you've had nauseam up talked about that with you over the past few years. But like if you're not going and like Bill Hancock, he's lying when he says they have a chance. And that's what bothers me is that we can have this facade and say, oh, well, maybe they're good up there. And even tonight's ranking show, they're like, oh, they're at 12, which is higher than last year. Maybe they can get in there. They have zero chance to get in the zero. top four. Even if zero. they have two loss Big Ten, two loss SEC, two loss, they are not putting UCF in. And I think that's wrong. And like the thing that the system is messed up where you say, oh, well, you can have a, a New Year's Six Bowl and you can go play Auburn or any team that's going to say they didn't want to be there when you beat them. Like what kind of, what kind of system is that? Like, if you're not going to go to eight teams, then have a group of five playoffs like, and have them have a champion where at least those players feel like they're playing for something legitimate as opposed to having to go out there and name themselves co-national champions and you know become the basically the joke of college football. It's what they've become like from all the national landscape is, oh, they're not really any good. When I actually think they are really good, like they have NFL talent on their team, and I do think they could – and look at – like for, for all the, for the Bama fans who go, oh, they would blow out. They would, you know, Bama would wax the floor with UCF. Bama would wax the floor with a lot of teams in the top 10 and a lot of teams in the top 15 that we actually consider for the playoff. So that's like my thing on UCF is not like I don't, they, they don't belong in the top four because playing in the American is different than playing in the SEC or ACC or Big 12, whatever conference you pick from the Power Five. But I do think they deserve a chance, just not in our current setup. In my biggest thing is, and I don't care who you are, it's, it's not even specific to UCF. I just have a hard time, even at 12-0, and 0, buying into you um, in, in a non-Power 5 conference. It's just the way I feel about it. And if it's a chance to play for an actual national championship, yeah, I'm pretty much to the point where I don't know that I'd ever be convinced that a non-Power 5 deserves to be in the playoff. And that may seem entirely right. unfair. And I would agree with you that Bill Hancock shouldn't go on and say that stuff, but he's been saying stuff for years and they run on the BCS. I mean, he's the guy that told us that we couldn't go to 12 games because of class, you know, I mean, right. <laughs> so this is, I, I don't, hope they don't get in. I hope they don't get in. So maybe we could see history made for the first time in college football history. We could have back to back co-national champions. There you go. And you could order another t-shirt. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> I, I made the Boise state example last podcast where I said, you know, when they had 
they finished in the top five in the AP the prior uh, 2009 undefeated. And then they beat Virginia Tech as a neutral site, but it was way on the East Coast. And so you had like a nice non-conference beat a big boy thing. And if they had run the rest of the table, then it then it might have been that time. Like it may have happened. And as much as each year and each week we're supposed to rip it up and start all over again, it's just not the way the brain works. And it's going to be hard to convince anybody in there. I, anything else? Jump out. I saw NC State still alive. I know you were pumping up NC State. That was 100% tweeting about the SEC bias in the rankings when you were doing that before they totally. got swept by Clemson. Yeah, right. They hadn't played totally. anybody. But here's, so but here's I don't. The thing. Like, here's the, but here's the thing if they're playing in the SEC and you don't play anybody, it doesn't impact you. Like, you're still going to be in the top 10. Like, I was not, and that's where it's like, well, lost in translation on Twitter, which happens all the time. I was not projecting NC State saying, hey, look at them. They're going to make a run. They're going to go to the playoffs. I was saying, because they're undefeated, they play in a power five. They weren't getting the same like uh, recognition that you would get from if you were in the SEC or if you were Kentucky or if you were any other team uh, that was in the SEC that was undefeated. So therefore, when, when Clemson beats them and smokes them, it doesn't look as impressive. Like they can't claim that as a, as a top 10 win the way that LSU claims Auburn as a top 10 win, even though we've seen Auburn become a complete disaster. So that was. Like, Do you think Auburn's the same as a, NC State, though? This year? Yeah. Yeah, you do. For sure. I absolutely do. Like, I think NC State is clearly better than Auburn. You, you think know? NC State would have beat Washington? Um, they're pretty good. They're absolutely pretty good. Brian Finley's a good quarterback. Like, I think that was a no, really I know good he's good. They, they've got to dominate that way. I, I think they have some good defensive guys, but I, I just felt like. Like, I think you know, their ranking now is probably fair. They're, the committee actually had him at 21, which I think is probably pretty fair. Yeah, I guess back-to-back weeks, I was surprised in an ACC that's down. You know, the committee tells us they don't worry about the conferences. That's that's ridiculous. The reason they tell us that is they don't want to tell us what conferences are ranked where. Like, they have to go. Right. Yeah, at some point, someone in the room's going, you know, the ACC's really down this year, you know, other than Clemson. And that's why when you had mentioned, you know, between Clemson and Alabama, the tier or whatever, I would put more money on Clemson making it to the playoff because of who sure. the rest of the ACC is than, say, who I think Bama is. Um, I. I feel like you wanted to get madder at me for that. No, no, no. We're good. We're good. Because I really get crushed. Because I thought that broadcast. (laughs) Those back-to-back losses are good losses. Like, I know Syracuse is like, goosh. But they're good. They're They're a good football team. Yeah, they, Babers, you're right. Like, back to your original point. I still think. I think the biggest thing that I've always argued with you about is that you think all these SEC teams get the benefit of the doubt. And what I would say is. They absolutely do. There's more. But there's more teams that have been good recently that we get that get the benefit of the doubt, but just like Ohio state gets the benefit of the doubt, just like, um, you know, I know it sounds like Oklahoma's Oklahoma's always going to get the benefit of the doubt, even Penn state. Okay. Penn state. Um, let me, let me find this here. Penn state right now is 14. Okay. Penn state's coming back with trace McSorley. And when you look at them throughout the weeks, you, you go, okay, app state almost beat them week one. They had that weird game with Illinois. They ended up crushing. I should stop bringing that up. They went up by 21 or 29 points. I was at the Ohio State game. They could have won that game, right? But yep. then they lose to Michigan State, and then they almost lost to Indiana. Like, and then the Iowa game. So they've had weeks here where they could have four losses, and yet the committee still, after some of this stuff, they not the committee, but just the AP voters, they still were on Penn State. And Penn State started top 10. Like, I'm okay. I just think there's all these teams that still get the benefit of the doubt. Even your Florida State team, the year after they won the title, we both watch them every week and we talk about it. And we go, 
man, they're just not as good. Like, what's wrong with them? Well, they're under, you know, they're defending national champs and Jameis is still there. So I agree that the SEC teams get this carryover thing, but I think there are teams all over the country that get this carryover thing. And I think you always ignore that. And I think you make it just about the SEC. Because I don't think there's any, like, listen to the conversation when it's Kentucky. And Kentucky is ranked ninth right now. If that was an ACC team, like, because Duke has been good before and Duke has played for ACC championships. If Kentucky beats Georgia, the narrative won't be, oh, man, the SEC East is bad. Like, what a garbage. Like, Kentucky's playing for the SEC championship. Man, what a great – Kentucky must be awesome. Like, Mark Stoops might be in a good job. But if you have Duke playing for a, an ACC title, people are going to say, oh, the ACC must be having an awful year. There's just – there is a narrative around that. That does happen. And no, that does too, happen. Right. But I, but I like I totally agree with you. Like there is absolutely brand bias, and it's not exclusive to the, uh, the SEC. It's everywhere. Like Clemson, Bama, um, Ohio State. You mentioned them all. They absolutely get the it happened. Of the doubt. It like, happened with Texas and Florida post McCoy and Tebow. They kept just oh yeah, this next guy, and it just happened. Yep. You know, and it happened, and those teams were disasters after the fact. Yep, totally agree. Like it happens across, but I do think. There is an SEC brand bias too. I mean, it's proven out. Like when right, the, the polls come out, is it the best conference though? Again, right now, yeah, right now for sure it is. But I don't. But see, here's the thing: the margin I don't think is that much better than everybody else. That's always been my thing. Is when we talk about them being the best. Yes, they're the best conference in college football this year. But I don't think that it's this huge gap. Kind of like I don't think there's a huge gap between Alabama and Clemson. You know, I just think if you went up and down, yeah, they'd be favored against teams from the Big Ten. Uh, or the Big 12, but I think, you know, they'd be interesting to watch play out, and I don't think it'd be that much of a difference. How about we do this? If Kentucky beats Georgia, I'm not going to say Kentucky's awesome. <laughs> All right. You know how bad I want that to happen. I, I know, I, I know. Because I... Bama play Kentucky and that's the championship game. Here's the thing. I still think Georgia's really good. I do. I just, I do, and I thought they were going to give it to Florida. I was, so I got, I got a ton of heat from Georgia fans because I said before the season, I said, I need to see them back it up. Like I need to see them justify what they did last season. And then they go into LSU and they look completely kind of overwhelmed, like a little bit stunned. A little it bit was also shocked. weird to see they, LSU have like four or five huge offensive plays in the same game and not a season. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. And that's the only, that's the only way that they have a chance against Bama. But I do think for them to get Jake Fromm, like I was really worried about Jake Fromm saying, Oh man, are they going to start playing Justin Fields? Is Kirby Smart going to start messing around with a two-quarterback system, which I think, you know, is a disaster waiting to happen? I just don't. I'm not a believer in that. But for him to come back and be almost perfect on third down and to come back to bounce back game he did against tough uh, Florida team, I'm back in on Georgia too. Like I, I was questionable with them, saying, "All right, where are they? You know, are they going to be able?" I still don't think they can go toe to toe with Bama, but I don't think that's disrespectful because I don't think I really only think Clemson is the team that can do that and really hang with them. But again, I don't, Bama has not been tested that much yet. And I think that's a great barometer for them will be LSU at Baton Rouge at night against that defense. Like I, I actually, I think in the back of Nick Saban's mind, he kind of is like, I want to see my team get tested. I want to see how they respond. And I think they'll pass. I think they'll pass the test, but you just never know until you've been in that situation. Yeah, I would agree. Cause I don't. I don't know why you'd never want to be tested um, because at some right. point if you are saying the playoff and then your kids haven't done it for three months, you're just going to react differently if you haven't done it. Cause the Kentucky thing real quick, and then I'll finish with Bama LSU with you uh, as we've already done it here a little bit, but you know, you, if you want to tell the good story, Kentucky, you go, Hey man, they, they won at Florida. You know, they beat a Mississippi state team by three touchdowns. 
Um, but then you go, wait a minute. So they lost to AM. Like, I think AM's a good team. And, and I know that's not mm-hmm. the best week to say it after losing to Mississippi State. It was a strong argument for AM's not going to just, you know, fold in front of you. They're going to play you tough. And, you know, two of their losses part of the Mississippi State thing are against the top two teams in the country. And they very easily could have won that Clemson game. But I was so impressed with Clemson, even though they're supposed to smash everybody. I thought that was a really nice win by them going in there. Because we both, have you been to Kyle Fieldhouse? Like, that's a wild place. It's weird. You know, I mean, it's yeah, not an easy place to there. go in. I was there for the Clemson game. Oh, insane. all right. Well, there you go. Like that place is bizarre. Yeah. But then Kentucky, you know, a touchdown against Vandy, this weird win this past week against Mizzou that, you know, has led to arguments four days removed from it. Like, okay, wait a minute. If you're really in Georgia's class and playing in the SEC title game, like, all right, we'll, you know, take it out on them. And, and even though, you know, it's at home, we'll see. All right. So before I, I ramble, because I, I want to say um, I'm headed there, as I said at the top of the pod, my feeling on Bama is that even if your defense is as talented as LSU's is, it's so hard with the release and timing and understanding the precision of what we're seeing from two in the passing game. And the fact that like it took you four weeks to go, okay, so Bama's got three stud receivers and kind of a fourth and a tight end. You're going to mess up with those guys multiple times a game. I don't care who you are. And that's why I just don't know if LSU can, if it's a shootout, I don't know that Burrow's going to be able to keep up with those guys. Cause this team, this game could, I've seen weird games there where no one can score the voodoo in the air, a turnover here, LSU's in it. They're going to win it. They're going to win it. And then they don't. And I've, I've been to games where I go, man, this isn't like the Leonard Fournette game at Tuscaloosa a few years ago where they try to run it right at him. And you were just like, this isn't going to work. So I've, se- I've seen every version of this game. I just have a hard time believing that you can contain all those receiving options for Tua. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, and not like, look, you know, I've picked against, I think I picked them against the year they had Leonard Fournette. And he got shut down to like 23 yards rushing and I was mad yeah. at myself. I said, I'm never picking uh, LSU <laughs> to beat them again unless they have the formula. And I do think there's a formula which, helps you contend. I don't think it's automatic, but I think you do have to use tempo. I think you have to have a quarterback who can run around, who can escape because that's like how you take advantage of Bama's when things break down, you can buy time. Cause that's when like a perfectly schemed defense gets thrown off, you know, thrown off what they do. And that's, that's a way to have success. And Joe Burrow, as good as he's been, like he's had the intangibles. He had the great drive against Auburn. He looked great against uh, Georgia. I just, there's still something about him where I don't know if he's an elite passer and he's going to be able to just pick apart Alabama's defense. So I just don't see that. And you're right with Tua, he knows where to go with the football. I do think if they could create some pressure and knock him around a little bit, that that's the one thing we haven't seen uh, Tua deal with much. This yeah, season. but he's Samoan, isn't he? I, yeah, he's he can be fine. <laughs> right, right. It won't play. It won't phase him at all. But he does know where to go with the football, and he is an elite passer of the football. So that's where. Even if you were able to kind of have this, if, if you were able to have run this offense that puts up a lot of points, they're at points they're actually built to go toe to toe with that. And I don't think LSU clearly doesn't have that on the offensive side of the ball. I am with you. The only way that LSU has a chance in this one, that's why the reason that's a 14 point spread is if Tua has turnovers, because those are the times they lose, you know, Ole Miss when they had five turnovers against Ole Miss a few years ago. And they Miss still had a ball. chance to win. Uh, I know. <laughs> right. And you never see that happen with that many turnovers. That's the only thing that we haven't seen is like, we haven't seen Tua have a bad game really. And that's the only thing that would really give LSU a chance. And I wouldn't bet on that happening considering how perfectly he's played the position. So I, I hope it's close. I hope it's a close game, but I could easily see Bama going out there, maybe close for a half. And then I could see Joe Burrow getting sacked and a strip fumble and, you know, they walk it into the end zone and then all of a sudden, you know, Bama's up 21 and you, your, your game's over. You know, I could easily see that happen. That's probably the most likely scenario. 
Yeah, the Jalen Hurts game a couple years ago, you know, I was there and it's like, hey, they're in it, they're in it, they're in it. And it really never felt like they were in it, even though the scoreboard <laughs> said it. And then, you know, Jalen had a big run there late and you go, okay, you know, and Ellis just couldn't, they just, they just couldn't move the football. I mean, that was the, that was the zero, zero point game, right? Yeah. I think that's, that's what it yeah. was. They got, they got shut out. Unless, um, unless, do you think LSU can run and slow the game down and keep it away? Cause they didn't maybe, run the ball just, really effectively against Georgia. And that's, but I, that's plays right into Bama's wheelhouse. If you try to run against that. I know. I just think those receivers are sick. Like I think because people keep yeah. turning off Alabama games or they go, oh, this is no point. I don't even want to watch that. I feel like if Alabama had had like a Saturday night primetime game against somebody and it was close and people saw Judy Waddle and Ruggs, they just go, oh my God. And that might be this Saturday. It might be this Saturday. Yeah. People realize, like, do you guys know how insane they have three Calvin Ridley's <laughs> that doesn't, yep. that doesn't at seem one fair. what they've cooled off a little bit, but at one, I think it was three weeks ago, I was looking at some stats. They had four guys that were averaging 20 yard, 20 plus yards to catch. Like that's insane. They are so deep at that position and that's what they can do. And that's, that's why people are saying that's the best thing saving team. It's clear because he's got this offense, which is insane. It's like playing a video game. It's, it's almost not fair. Yeah. As of now, Judy's at 25 with a catch. Waddle's <laughs> 22. Ruggs is 19. Devonta Smith is 20. I mean, this is stupid. And it's not like they're, the, it's not like they're the, Georgia Tech receivers where they get three catches and they're all like, no, these are, they have 30 catches, you know, 20 catches. They're getting a lot of balls. They're just, they're just taking them deep. They're taking them to the house. It's no, unbelievable the, how deep the, they are. The tight end who's, he, you know, he's big and he's a New Orleans kid, uh, Irv Smith there. He had 14 catches his career coming in. And he's got 22 for 384 now. Like, I'm looking at this now. It just, it's actually still right where you said it was. And it's even more absurd because I haven't even mentioned um, the Smith brothers may not did be related. You put in, uh, did you put in the request for the new helmet they wore that nighttime, the one that changes colors? Did you get a request uh, for that yet? You know, I don't have a show anymore to put the helmet out. So I don't. <laughs> so the you, post, a, you still have a man cave. I'm assuming that, right? Yeah, I don't know. The square footage of Manhattan Beach is a little tighter than it was in West Hartford. So I don't have. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have, we don't have caves out in LA. Well, get one for me then. I know they'll give it to you. They would never give it to me. They'll, they'll definitely, they definitely won't give it to you. Do you know when I tried to give them Rosillo no. Cadell t-shirts, they didn't want them? <laughs> they crossed out my name, I thought. <laughs> I was at a dinner with all the LSU guys and I go, hey, I got some Rosillo Cannell shirts and they're like, I'm not wearing that. And I was like, you yeah, really aren't going to wear okay. it, huh? Um, can, before I say goodbye, I just want to, you know, how are you doing, man, with everything with Sirius and, and talk about the podcast for a bit and get a promo in there because... I don't know. Do you miss it? Do you miss doing the show with me every day? Or, or yeah, or? absolutely, I do, man. I miss it all the time, and it's it's uh it's bittersweet because I still get people. In fact, today there was some dude that said something about the book club. <laughs> I think I put because did you see the video of the committee when they were walking into the room? They put their hats on the hat rack. All business. So yeah, I love I like, it. Are you yeah, serious? I said, Is this the corniest thing ever? And a dude actually said, "No, your book club idea was the worst <laughs> idea ever. That was the corniest thing." Which was actually pretty good, but like yeah, that stuff like makes book me club idea was a good idea. Back. Yeah, book yeah, club was. I, I should have let you do that. Summer, see, that's you my should've. fault. But you then like that it. stuff is when I miss it. You know, like that's the stuff when I miss. Like the people that were involved and they cared about us and like that interacted with us. That's the stuff I miss. I miss getting yelled at. You know, all the time with you for three hours and in the pre-show meeting, <laughs> get my ideas shot down. I miss all that stuff. But now I got my man Raja. So you got you got to get Raja on here sometime. I know you guys do football. You got to get him on maybe on your other pod too. Because Raja's unbelievable. Like he's really a talented. His stories are dude. incredible. I've met him. We did his we did stories. a bunch of game nights together. His his stories, NBA stories, are up there with anybody I've ever talked to. He's incredible. 
and he doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold back. Like he's not, he's not going to have like a filter either. So uh, doing the stuff with him at CBS Sports HQ, we have a podcast too. It's uh, off the bench with Canel and Bell. So if anybody's listening, maybe I'll check it out too. All right. So, well, hey, man, plug. are you going to make it to Baton Rouge? Are you trying to? Or are you afraid to now after I told you about the T-shirts? I got right? to call a game in Murfreesboro. Make sure you tune in for that one. Middle Tennessee State against Western Kentucky Friday night. It's not that far from Nashville. You guys should come over. That could be your Friday. Are you guys going over to Baton Rouge Friday night? I'm going Thursday, dude. Are you kidding me? I'm not sticking oh, around here. Oh, there you go. You're going to see Brandon, see the boys that walk on. Make sure you tell them. I think, I think Brandon likes me. I don't. I don't. I feel like I have a pretty good feel for him. Brandon's a that he's a businessman, so he he knows because yeah. if you blow up, he he wants dude. to be able to say he's in there. He's um <laughs> he's set it exactly. up, man. Yeah, I got my buddies from Colorado coming in. May have a, a couple other surprises rolling through, and I'm. It's it's my favorite weekend of the every two years because I only get it once every two years. Oh, so. it's gonna be great. Have fun, wait. man. Enjoy it. Hey, thanks so much for the time. We didn't go at it as much as I thought we were going to, but maybe that just shows maturity or calmness on on my end. Yeah, we're getting I know older. You, you were more yeah. mature than I was. Uh, all right, my man. Thanks so much, Dean. I appreciate it. All right, you got it. Take it easy, Ryan. I'll get to some NFL thoughts. The Browns, in particular, I could probably go do another hour on the Browns. Although I don't know that I've done a minute really, uh, but I'm going to do some stuff on the Browns, and then we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it takes me. But I want to remind you about my guys at Hotel Tonight coming in huge once again for your boy on the road. Had to find a room in Baton Rouge. Not easy. So a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. That's the great thing. If you go someplace, it's packed. You go, I don't know, I'm just going to ride this out for a couple hours. Uh, Hotel Tonight's going to hook you up. They partnered with these awesome hotels to help sell those unsold rooms, which means you'll get an incredible deal. Seriously, if you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you got to try Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through never-ending lists. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels they think you're going to love. And then they even give short profiles to each hotel, complete with all the info you need and pictures of what the rooms really look like. Plus, even though their name's Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can also book in advance. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways. And three-day weekends. That's huge if you got, it, you got it like that. Hey, I'm not coming back on Monday because Hotel Tonight hooked me up. Staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool and more. Every hotel I've ever gotten through Hotel Tonight, even when I was overseas, it's always a cool one. I'm, I'm telling you, like that's the best thing about them is that if, especially if you're you know, with the wife or you want to rekindle that love and remind each other of why you're still with each other, right? You know, those kind of things. I don't know what that's like, but I imagine that happens. and. They're going to be like cool boutique stuff. So you're going to like the lamps. We don't like the lamps. We don't care about that, but women do. So pay attention to that stuff. Get better. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. Before we do a tweet that pissed me off, uh, I'm going to just talk about the Browns for a little bit. So they fire Hugh Jackson and then they fire Todd Haley, the OC. Okay. And this is a really interesting, I'm going to make a couple analogies here as I try to do any of these stories. but. The Hugh Jackson thing, it's really easy to be like, yeah, you you were two in a billion. Your record was terrible. You deserve to be fired. I actually felt like, well, if the front office is tanking and they had this takeover there, even if you feel like there's signs of incompetence, that's it, a tough one, right? Because I could talk myself out of that, too. I could say, well, wait a minute. If you're starting fresh and you have a new quarterback and you're taking him number one and the front office is different from the coaching staff, then why, you know, why would you even want anybody around him that may not be part of the long haul? But at the same time, I don't think Hugh Jackson owns that record in the way somebody else would when the front office was doing what they were doing to acquire as many draft picks as they possibly could. Okay. So I think both sides of those arguments are pretty fair. Now, what Jackson had said publicly recently, like as the season was beginning, um, 
And then it kind of carried over. So, I, I mean, this is kind of a constant theme since the start of training camp to all the way to the last week was that he wanted to be more involved in the offensive meeting rooms, but nothing had changed in the last couple of days. And that Jackson hadn't been involved in the teaching, building or game planning the offense all along was a result of giving Haley the autonomy that he was promised when he was made the OC. So that's really on. And it gets back to ownership and Haslam and his tenure with Cleveland has been a disaster. It just, I mean, it'd be hard to say, hey, I'm going to buy a team and try to have a million people work in the front office and have a head coach. But then when it's bad, you just keep firing everybody all the time. So at times, I think it's it's really easy to beat up on any organization, any college football program, even NBA teams. And be like, well, look at all these guys they brought in here. There's no security. Well, what are you supposed to do? Just keep the awful guy for six years to prove that you have patience? Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. But let's face it. If I had to go into a courtroom and defend Jimmy Haslam against the argument that He's been, an, you know, he's been a terrible owner, and I have to argue he's been a great owner. It, there wouldn't be a ton of evidence, and I would probably plead. So whenever you look at the beginning of this, you know, and I'm looking at Albert Breer's stuff from SI.com, the MMQB, and he said, basically, look, they put together Banner, Mike Lombardi, Ray Farmer, Mike Pettin, Sashi Brown, and then Jackson, and now that Dorsey's in there, and then he inherited Jackson. All of this stuff, it, it does kind of start with you as the owner, even if you're not the hardcore football guy to go, I need guys in the building that are going to be able to get along together. And let's face it, Todd Haley doesn't get along with anybody. I don't know what the issue is. Clearly, there's something about the way he sees offense that is good enough to continue to get him these jobs. Go, but going back to him being an assistant with Parcells, and this is really, I don't want to say unfair because it actually happened. Remember, like Haley was arguing with the ref and, and Parcells pushed him back. Well, more than immediately, Chris Mortensen was like, that's like a father-son relationship. That's those two guys, and Haley can be super abrasive. But we saw this going back a really long time. Then he's with the Chiefs. It doesn't work there. And then Roethlisberger, who's not exactly my favorite guy, they can't get along. And then you're sitting there where Hugh Jackson, who was an offensive guy first and foremost, I didn't know if he was terrible in Oakland or not because that was a disaster. So we're still sitting here looking at Hugh Jackson's resume going, all right, maybe he isn't good. And maybe there were signs at Hard Knocks watching the TV show. You're like, this guy's an NFL head coach. And all of those things can be accurate and can be fair. But to put Haley with him and then say, by the way, Haley's calling all the shots and you stay out of it. And then reports where Corey Coleman, who's only been on 30 teams since he was cut by the Browns, went to Jackson to try to find out why he was with the second unit because Haley had designated him as a backup. There were just all these little things, and you can't do that with any quarterback. Forget a rookie quarterback and one you took one that, let's face it, a lot of people didn't think was going to happen. So I think the, the two lessons out of this the most are that if you're Hugh, are you wrong for potentially being a leak about this stuff? Because there'll be one argument that is, you're a football team, you're a family, you're in this together, do not leak information that even if it helps you, hurts the overall organization. I would like to think if I had a job like this, and I'm not going to be an NFL coach, but if I had a job that was in the public eye and was important, and yes, the perception of me is very much dictated by the media, that I still at my core would want to do the right thing for everybody so that we could all move in the same direction. All right? But there's other arguments that are if you're Hugh and Haley's boxing you out because of an agreement with the owner and it makes you look weak as the head coach and you need to explain this for your own self-preservation to maybe keep your job in Cleveland or at the very least now change the perception, change the story about you moving forward so you can get another job and he'll get another job as an assistant at some point. But no one gets canned and goes, hey, Hugh Jackson isn't walking around today going, oh, I'll never be a head coach again. He's going to be like, how can I be a head coach again? So. 
a lot of the stuff that was coming out, people felt like was a Hugh Jackson leak. I don't know if it was or not. I can understand why it was. And I think some of you listening now are like, that's the wrong thing to do. You can't do that. Forget the noise, eliminate the noise. And I think there are other people listening go, wait a minute, man, this is about survival. This is self-preservation. This is what we're all doing every single day. Look out for number one every day. Uh, Okay. You know, I'll take care of my wife, take care of my kids and everything else, but it is only about me. And I don't, I, I think you can be that way to a point, but I don't know that. I mean, if all of us were doing that, if everyone in your office, if everybody in your sales staff was only about themselves all the time, isn't that just as toxic? I, I think there's always this argument. I don't know if it's selfishness that we have now. Uh, I, I feel like there's more stuff that I read where I'll read someone saying, well, you know, you got to do what you can to protect you. Well, yes, but can you go too far with that? I worked with somebody long time ago and I never talked to the media blogs. I just didn't. Um, if somebody called me on something and got my number and it was outlandish, I'd be like, look, that's not going to happen or whatever. But for the most part, I wasn't ever saying like, Hey, my show is doing really well. Um, you know, I'll give you a little bit of this. And this is what happens. You trade a little information, right? Like if a GM's talking to somebody or an assistant GM's talking to somebody, especially like an assistant coach or assistant GM, a lot of times they're talking to somebody in the media. So they're hoping that person, in the media, when a GM job becomes open, names that assistant GM or names that assistant coach as a viable option as a GM or head coach. I mean, that's kind of the horse trading that we're all doing here. But for me personally, I wasn't one that would call a blog and say, hey, I got some dirt for you on something that's happened at ESPN. Just remember, next time you start talking up people who's great at radio, who's great on television, who deserves more of a shot at this or has, you know, that's, that's what some people in my business do. And there was one person that did it and they did it all the time. And I know who it was because I would read something and go, oh, oh my gosh, like that's word for word what I know came from this other person in my industry. And every time there would be some mention of an up and comer or somebody who was really changing sports and media and television, this person would always be mentioned all the time. And I go, my God, like all these blogs love this person. Like, this is incredible. And some of us at work would be like, man, did you read about so-and-so that person? And I'm trying to be super vague about this because I don't, you know, I don't think anybody would ever really figure it out. But it was just one of those things where we kept we kept reading about how great this person was over and over again. And we realized the blogs are only writing this about this person that we worked with because this person was feeding them information all the time. Like you guys know me well enough, especially from the ESPN years that and I don't know that everybody <laughs> loved it. And sometimes when I was really honest on the air about how stuff was going down, people appreciated. It. They liked that I did it the way that I did it. And I never really was. I, you know, I don't know that I was, I was, I was probably more open and more honest than other people were about it, but I just wanted the listener to kind of know where I was coming from and everything was going down. And I did a really extensive ESPN podcast when I'd resigned just saying, Hey, here's the timeline of events. Here's how it all happened. And that's, that's what happened. Maybe some people didn't like it, but I could have just given that all to a blog and then said, all right, argue my side of the story, make me look great. And then down the road, I got your back on something. And maybe I should have done more things like that. And maybe that's what Hugh Jackson was trying to do. And some of you were probably listening and go, well, what happened to that other person? Well, that other person's career absolutely took off because every time that that person was being written about, it was in glowing terms about how great they were and how creative they were. And it was on and on and on. And like the rest of us at ESPN, we go, my gosh, like you keep reading this stuff. And by the way, I also know that it hurt me by not doing it because there were certain blogs. Um, you know, when I re-signed with ESPN, when I had a dual contract with 
with the ringer and ESPN, which is basically unheard of, a couple blogs didn't even touch it. Not because it wasn't interesting, because it's really unprecedented, but a couple didn't do it because I never have called them back. Like when I was first leaving the radio show, I got this long email from one of the blogs being like, hey, we heard there's a chance you could go to Fox, Ringer, Barstool, or maybe even start your own podcast. I'm like, well, dude, that's not a source. That's not info. You just named like the four places I'd probably ever work. Like that's not, so I didn't even bother with it. And guess what? By not bothering, not emailing back, not playing the game a little bit more, feeling like I'm not giving this person any information. I don't even know who they are and they're totally guessing. Then that place has never hooked me up. It's never written anything nice about me ever. And then I realized maybe the other guy had it figured out. Maybe the, maybe the person who was constantly leaking stuff all the time and, and crafting the story the right way about themselves to self-promote is playing the game the right way. Because there's so much of this stuff after this huge action firing where everybody's like, what? Wait a minute, who said this? And who said that? Or did Hugh say that? Is he trying to do this whole thing? And it's something that, I don't want to call it a struggle. I'm not trying to be that dramatic about, but I think all of us that want to grow and want to be successful in what we do, you go, okay, to what cost? And let's face it. I mean, there's not, not everybody has a media thing covering their job, but you can be all about yourself, I think, and to a point. And then once you cross through that point, it's like, okay, well, you're just, you're beyond like, this is, this isn't about, you're just, you're taking this too far. And I'm not even sure that he necessarily even did that real quick. uh, Before I get to the Fowler trivia, I wanted to point out, um, Lincoln Riley being brought up to come in for Baker Mayfield. I would not, if I were Lincoln Riley, take the Cleveland Browns job. I would rather be a 10 year guy at a place like Norman or 10 other college football stops and be the king of a college campus for 10 years than I would want to sign on with the NFL, especially if I'm as young as Lincoln Riley. Now he can say he wouldn't want to do it right now. Everything's a negotiation. You know, he can say what he wants because you may just get a bump out of it, a few extra million or tacked on another year to your contract because there's a threat of you going, Charlie Weiss, anyone. So if any coach wants to be vague about their intentions, I totally understand that part of it because that's the way the game is played for that. Um, But I, I would like to point out the top 10, or excuse me, top five NFL coaching salaries compared to the top five college football coaching salaries. Belichick, the reports are between 10 and 12 and a half million a year, depending on what you read. So he's at number one. Gruden's 10 mil, 100 million. And by the way, if it took you $100 million to get Gruden out of the booth, there has to be a point where you go, you know what? Let's not pay $100 million to John Gruden. How about that idea? Like, what's he want? He wants seven? No. Want eight? No. Want nine? No. He wants 10. All right, 10 for five? No, he wants 100. Oh, can we not do that? Do we have the option to say no? And that's where the Raiders are a disaster. So you got Gruden second, Carroll's at nine million ish, Sean Payton's at nine million. Ron Rivera, who knew that? Who had him at number five for top coaching salaries in the NFL at seven point seven five million with a new extension? Andy Reid's like seven million, so he's kind of like six. It depends on what you read. I read a bunch of different stuff, multiple sources. So those are your top five guys in the NFL: Belichick, Gruden, Carroll, Payton, Rivera, between about eight and ten to say twelve million. Top five college coaches, Saban's eight and a half, Myers seven and a half, Harbaugh seven and a half, Fisher seven and a half, and Gus Malzahn 6.7. You just gave him that extension after you wanted to fire him, and now you all want to fire him again. Side note, Fisher has a $68 million buyout Jimbo does down at A&M. That's absurd. Saban and Meyer are both about $38 million. Uh, a bunch of guys in the 30 millions there. Harbaugh's is a little less. Pac-12 doesn't pay their guys as much. Um, Chris Peterson's about four and a half, depending on what you read, four and a half million. 
Pac-12 only has two of the top 25 coaches. The reason I'm bringing all those things up is that I could understand if I were a football coach, ultimately I'd want to test myself against professionals and do that. But the job's entirely different. Some people love the idea of free agency and dealing with adults. Even if guys screw up, there's not that many of them. They're not kids. And that's how you run your business. And you're, on, you're coaching on Sundays. Totally understand that. I think there are other people that go, I don't have to worry about free agency. If I'm one of the brands, we're going to recruit ourselves. You know, and if I'm really good at recruiting, I can, I can go out and demolish it. And maybe I just like the college atmosphere a little bit better. I've always thought Saban would want to try to go to the pros again. Um, and ironically, the rumor used to always be that Cleveland was going to offer him so much money he couldn't say no. But now he's making the money at Alabama that people thought he would be offered at Cleveland years and years ago. If I'm Matt Campbell in Matt, Iowa State, that's an entirely different situation. Like people arguing he doesn't want to leave. Like, how do you leave Iowa State for? Well, you leave Iowa State for the NFL. I mean, sorry, Ames, but that's kind of the way it works. So I do think there are a lot of these guys, the Lincoln types, as I'd mentioned before, Kingsbury, if you ever lost a job at Tech, but Tech's actually pretty good, even though the close loss to Iowa State. I actually think they've been better this year. And it's in Lubbock. So, you know, the leash is going to be a lot longer for Kingsbury because he's their guy. But all of these young dudes are going to start getting offers in the NFL. And I wonder how many of them that are getting paid a lot of money in college would actually think the job is that much better. Because I don't think it is. I think there's some jobs there where I go, you know what? I don't, I don't know that I want. I can be competitive. It could be my dream. Maybe I prefer the NFL. But if it's not my dream, even though I'm competitive, I think there's just so many, so many great jobs in college that I think, do I want to go and see if I can be nine and seven in the NFL? And that's what the Browns are going to be facing. Want to remind everybody that dual threat with Ryan Rosillo is brought to you by Burrow. Burrow makes clever, uncompromising furniture for modern life at home. And as the days get shorter, the weather gets colder and football, NHL and NBA are in full swing. You know, you're going to be spending more time at home on the couch. Make sure that's time well spent with a sofa from Burrow. Burrow sofas are handmade in North Carolina with sturdy, sustainably sourced hardwood, scratch resistant fabric and a built in USB charger. This is amazing. Burrow is designed for comfort because you know how there's always a charger and you're like, is it long enough? And I'm going to fall down on this thing a little bit later. Um, Burrow is designed for comfort with the proprietary foam that's supportive yet cozy. Burrow sofas are exactly 17 inches off the ground because that's the average height from the bottom of a person's foot to the back of their knee. Easily customize your sofa online and enjoy fast and free shipping. No more trips to a dimly lit warehouse on the other side of town. I have a sofa coming. I'm going on the website tonight. I'm going to pick it up. I may go out and celebrate. Maybe not because of the sofa, but I'm going to be happy is what I'm telling you. And you're going to be happy because we have a deal for you. You can get your living room ready for fall and save and going into winter. $75. Save $75 on a new sofa by visiting burrow.com slash dual D-U-A-L. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash dual to get $75 off your order. Thanks again to Burrow for supporting the show. This week in Chris Fowler Trivia. How many of the top five defenses are in the playoffs today in the NFL? Three, Chicago, Cleveland, Baltimore, Seattle, Houston. Those are your top five defenses. Chicago's in, Seattle's in, Houston's in, Cleveland, Baltimore would be out. Tweet that pissed me off. As we mentioned earlier with Cannell, benefit of the doubt is human, benefit of the doubt is real. And if you're saying Bama hasn't played anybody, we don't know how good they are when they've destroyed teams. And yes, their conference schedule hasn't been strong. Their out-of-conference schedule was bad, and they're going to have another bad 
non-conference game, but they've been doing this for a decade. And you're just, you really are just a hater. You're just a hater if you're doing this. And you could even argue that Clemson's schedule isn't even that great, but they're out of conference is A&M. Like that's a real tough, you know, and they're going to play South Carolina, you know, so when, when it's all said and done, I don't want to hear about Clemson's schedule not being good when the ACC was down because they went out and they tried to schedule a couple teams here. So this is from a guy who chimed in and said, the problem with your argument is that the strength of schedule is used against all teams except Bama. So Bama, who has proven to be a championship team in the past few years, doesn't have to face the challenges, more difficult schedules, i.e. injuries out of conference road games, et cetera. If Bama's not good, we'll find out. Against LSU, um, maybe not against Auburn, because I think Auburn is one of those teams that's really talented that isn't even close to being what they thought they were going to be. And those teams sometimes are easier to beat on Saturdays than lesser talented teams because their expectations were so high. And Stidham's back and defensive guys that they have and some of these younger running backs who I love, uh, they're a talented team. And they just they don't have it. Like Those teams are really weird to play at the end of the year, but you think Auburn's going to get up for that one because it's Auburn, Alabama. So... If you're watching Alabama on a Saturday destroy another team and you go, well, we still don't know yet, when they've been number one for 11 straight years at some point in the AP rankings, then you just hate them. You just do. You hate them. And that was the original point of the tweet. Please subscribe to Dual Threat. Rate and review. Subscribe again. Tell your mom to subscribe. Tell her what's up. That sounded creepy. Probably shouldn't have done it that way. Anyway, um, on the road. I'm not going to be on the road every week, but we will be ready to go right after the college football playoff rankings. Rob Mullins, the chair, will be joining us. Hopefully, I want to do it next week. I'm putting him on the spot here um, because we didn't talk about any of the ranking stuff. If any of you are worried about that, we didn't. But we will on the podcast, and he said he's going to come on. So that's cool. He's awesome. And I don't know if he can't do it next week. We won't do it next week. But we will do it with him at some point, at least once in the season because I think that'd be a lot of fun for everybody. Have a great week. I can't wait to get down to Louisiana. I will update you on all that. Uh, at Ryan Abersillo, I'll be at the Nissan Heisman house at some point on Saturday in Baton Rouge saying hello. I'll take pictures. Um, I'm not going to throw up any gang signs, but I'll just I'll maybe a thumbs up, a hearty thumbs up for me. 